see tonight. We appreciate this opportunity to be together. I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke as we spend a good deal of time there tonight. Just to introduce why we're going to preach this lesson. Actually, it um, had a long Bible study this past week about the kingdom. And more particularly, uh, could it be that God has planned that some that in the future that uh, Christ is going to come back and to the earth and God's going to renovate the earth and, and, and Christ is going to be a king on the earth. Uh, and that's where the kingdom's going to have fulfillment. All the prophecies would have fulfillment. A long Bible study about that this week and, and uh, just a number of problems with that idea. Uh, it's it's um, some, some are now teaching it under a new terminology, the new creation theology. Uh, and uh, it's envisioning the new heavens and the new earth as the renovation of this of this world. Well, that's that's what uh, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses have taught for a long, long time. Uh, but uh, uh, needless to say, when you start looking at the nature of the kingdom and and the reality of what the Scripture says about what's going to happen when Jesus comes back, Second Peter three primarily is is a point of reference. That there's just tremendous problems with thinking that that uh, this world is going to be put back like it was at Eden. And, and everything's going to be renovated and put back and restored like it was in the time of Eden. No, that's not going to happen. Uh, this world is going to burn with fire, going to melt with fervent heat, going to be dissolved. And, uh, and, uh, uh, and God has prepared a new heavens and a new earth, a new habitation of holiness. Uh, for his people, and so I thought in thinking about that and thinking about the the idea of the kingdom, I uh, thought about this lesson. This lesson was I preached this lesson about nine years ago. So full disclosure, some of you heard this lesson before. And I'm not I'm not ashamed to preach it again. I I, I got one email from somebody the other day. He's got my bulletin, and he said, "I'm expecting you to send new." Lessons every week. Why are you repeating some of the lessons? <laughs> well, you know, Paul said for me to preach the same things to you is not irksome, but for you it's safe. So, so uh, I, I thought we'd just review some of the things about the kingdom, uh, and particularly as it is described in the Gospel of Luke, because Luke has a lot to say about the kingdom. He uses the word kingdom about 45, 46 times. And, and uh, uh, in his gospel, he portrays the, uh, Jesus as fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom. And um, that's a pretty good place to, to uh, try to assess that, uh, that, well, if these prophecies have been fulfilled, then any expectation of a renovated earth and a kingdom coming back here to the earth uh, is, is out of line with, is against uh, what Luke in his gospel, as well as the rest of God's word, has to say about it. In Luke 12, 31 and 32, Jesus said, Seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So Jesus came saying that the Father's pleasure, the Father's purpose, is to give you the kingdom. Now, that flies in the face of these doctrines that say, well, the kingdom was postponed. Now, according to Luke, the kingdom was not postponed. It was God's good will to give the kingdom to those who would follow His Son. Um, according to Luke, the kingdom 
was not something that uh, was going to eventually be on the earth for a thousand years. He said, as we read together in Luke 17, he has Jesus saying the kingdom of God is in your midst or within you. Uh, it certainly is not a kingdom that's part of a renovated earth because uh, Luke is just going to be describing a kingdom that would come uh, in the life of those people in the first century and that they would participate in. So, so he presents Jesus preaching a kingdom. Chapter 8 and verse 1. Uh, Luke 8 and verse 1. It says, for example there, that Christ... Um, it came afterward that He went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with Him. So there is good news about God's kingdom that Jesus brought with Him. Uh, he taught to pray to His disciples then, Your kingdom come. In Luke 11 and verse 2. Uh, he just talked about the kingdom being near. Uh, both Matthew and Mark said that, that he said Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's shortly to, to come. It's near. So, of course, the kingdom, he would later also say in John's account, my kingdom is not of this world. John 18.36. So, we're talking about uh, when the Old Testament talks about a kingdom, uh, it's describing... A, a spiritual kingdom that Jesus calls His church. In Matthew 16, 18 and 19, Jesus said, Upon this rock, this truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, that Peter has confessed, upon this rock I will build My church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'll give you access to the ability to bring people into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of the Old Testament uh, is the church in the New Testament. So that when Jesus taught them to pray, your kingdom come, it had not yet arrived, but it was approaching, it was near, it was at hand, and it was God's good pleasure to give it to them. And we see that being fulfilled in Christ's church. Uh, that... Uh, as we'll go through our study. So, so let's just spend some time in, in reminding ourselves that the New Testament church is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And I think uh, maybe a place to, I uh, don't have on the chart, but if you look at Acts 3 with me for just a moment, just to kind of set the scene, because some of this thinking uh, about, well, uh, this is going to be, the kingdom's going to have to be back somewhere in the future, there's a misuse of the term restoration that, that plays into this sum that we need to, to understand. Peter preached in Acts 3.19 the plan of salvation. He said, Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, that so there may come seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So he's, he's teaching the people how to, to become Christians, how to be saved, just as he did in Acts 2.38. He says, And that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Times of restoration of all things. They're setting in place of all things. 
which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. So, so Christ is now in heaven, and what the prophets had spoken of are finding a fulfillment. And Peter goes on to describe, he said, Moses, from Moses and then Samuel and all the prophets, verse 24, spoke of these days. So he spoke of the days in which the apostles were preaching the gospel of the kingdom to the world. And furthermore, he said, you, you Jews who are hearing me this day in Jerusalem, you're sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the blessings promised in the Old Testament from Abraham through his seed now is finding a fulfillment in these days. It's the very things that the prophets had talked about. And so these days were the very days of restoration that was fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies. To you first, God, having raised up His servant Jesus, sent Him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So the times of restoration are these days, the days of the first century, of the apostolic days, and integral, central to that, was the turning of sinners away from sin, fulfilling the Abrahamic promise of blessing in the Christ that would come to the Jews and also to the Gentiles. See, when people lift that term, times of restoration, they want to shove it out there in our future. But the Scripture says it, it, it belongs right where God put it, right there in the, first, in the first century, in those days, in the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Christ and His redemption. And so that, in fact, His kingdom has come. So let's look at a few of those prophecies then. Um, let's turn our attention to um, uh, Isaiah 2. Uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 7 and verse 14. That the prophecy of a king that would be born, a son would be born, a king would come, and this son would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7 and 14, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. So, so here is the, the virgin whose son is going to be called God with us. Chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, He says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon His shoulders, so He's going to be a ruler. And His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice, from this time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So God's going to accomplish the sending of a child, of a son, who's going to have the government, going to have the rule. He's going to sit on David's throne. He's going to rule over his kingdom. Now, that was the prophecy. That was the anticipation. And of course, in Luke... We have a fulfillment as Gabriel speaks to Mary and telling her about the fulfillment, how that she would be with child by the power of the Holy Spirit. That she's, she, she who has not known a man is going to give birth to a son and going to call his name Jesus. And he'll be great, verse 32 of Luke 1. And will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So here's the idea of the throne, the government. He'll, be, he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever and His kingdom there'll be no end. Now, 
All this is significant because you and I, as Christians, are in this kingdom. The kingdom has had to come, or or here we are, how, uh, uh, without without citizenship. Without citizenship, if the kingdom isn't here, we have a king promised, born of a virgin. He's going to sit on David's and going to rule over the people of God. Not a, not a literal throne. That's the concept of sovereignty, of 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 kingship. He's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. He's going to be deity. But she said, "Well, how's this going to be? I I, I don't know a man." The angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So the prophecy of the Son of God coming is fulfilled, Luke says, in the birth of Jesus to Mary. Chapter 2, she brought first, in verse 7, she brought first her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. And the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There, there is an announcement that in the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies of a king who would be born of a virgin son who would be given rule and reign over the people of God. So, Luke gives us a demonstration that what's been predicted about the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come as the king has been sent to reign over God's people. Again, let's see that in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel 7 and 13, God promised to sit the seat of David on that throne, to give him rule over God's people. 2 Samuel 7.13 He shall build a house for My name and I'll establish the throne of His kingdom forever. So so when David's asleep, verse 12, He said, I'm going to set your seat upon your throne. Solomon is the first fulfillment of that, but ultimately it's going to be in the Christ. And we'll see that because it's applied to Jesus in the New Testament. He's going to set His seat upon His throne. Psalm the second chapter, verses six and seven says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God, God says, Why did the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Christ? See, they they, they tried to do away with him, kill him. But the Lord, he says, will laugh in derision. Because He has set His King on His holy hill of Zion. God has accomplished His purpose. The thought, the thought that man could keep God from accomplishing His purpose and He had to postpone the kingdom and, and now we have the church age. But really that's not the, the real reason of the prophecies that there's going to be a kingdom coming back in the future. That is, that is an affront and a blasphemous concept against God Himself and His ability to accomplish His purposes. God says... Prophetically, I'm going to laugh when man tries to, to extinguish my Christ and keep my purposes from happening. I'm going to set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And then the, the king says, I'll tell the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So, so the prophecy of a king over God's people, over God's kingdom, 
Again, that's quoted repeatedly in the New Testament and applied to Jesus. as fulfilled when God raised Him up. Set Him at His right hand. Again in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, Set Him at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. Or your footstool. The Lord shall send out the rod of your strength out of Zion rule in the midst of your enemies. So God's promise is I'm going to set you at my right hand. You're going to have prominence, power, authority, and your enemies are going to be under your feet. Well, prophecy is of sovereign rule that Luke, point by point, applies to Jesus. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel again to Mary. Look at the point. He makes it the very thing that's prophesied by the prophets. He said... He'll be Son of the Most Highest. He'll be called the Son of the Most Highest. The Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. And He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there'll be no end. So did He do it or not? The angel prophecy said He would do it. The angel said He's going to do it. But man then comes along and says, no, He hadn't done it yet. Man, man, he just... Men men just weren't ready for Jesus and and, and He had to do something else. No, that's not at all what Luke says. Luke says that Jesus told the Sanhedrin there, you know, before His death, as they are, He's before them, He said that you're going to see the Son of Man at the right hand of the power of God in Luke 22 and and 69. You're going to see Him in His position of power. He's going to come in judgment against the city going to punish you because you rejected Messiah. So the king on his throne is going to exercise that power because he's exalted at God's right hand. Luke ends with Jesus ascending into the heavens. He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And the next thing we read Luke writing about in Acts the first and second chapter is that the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and the apostles say, that's proof that Jesus is God's right hand in fulfillment of Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies and footstool your feet. So, so Luke says what the Old Testament said about a king on David's throne with sovereign power and reigning over and in the midst of his enemies is fulfilled in Jesus. It's fulfilled now. Not to expect at some future time, but in these days, in these days, you see the kingdom came. The kingdom has come, just as the prophet said that it would. Well, here's another thought about the kingdom. In Isaiah the second chapter, verses two and three, it talks about the kingdom as a mountain uh, in, in that psalm. Uh, familiar, I'm sorry, uh, prophecy from Isaiah two. And uh, verses oh, 2 and 3, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. The idea of a mountain here is representative of, of sovereign uh, government, of power, uh, of authority, of strength. God's mountain, the mountain of God's house, the rule of God's house is going to be on top of all the other mountains. It's going to be higher than any kingdom of man. Any government. It's going to be exalted above everything else. And all nations will flow to it. And many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways. 
will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the prophecy is of the mountain of the Lord's house being established and proclaimed, preached, and people coming to this kingdom, to this ruler and his, his reign over them and being blessed as a result. Well, in Luke, time and time again, the point is made that Jesus came preaching the kingdom. We mentioned a couple of those. Look at Luke 4 in verse 43. See, Luke, again, time and time again, Luke is showing Jesus fulfills the kingdom prophecies. Luke 4, 43. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for, but for this purpose I have been sent. I came for this reason to preach the gospel, uh, preach the kingdom of God. Just as the prophets had said, he's doing that. In chapter 8, verse 1, we mentioned that earlier, that uh, he was going city to city, preaching and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And, and not only him, but he's sending others to do the same thing, didn't he? In chapter 9 of Luke, and in verse 2, he sent the twelve to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Drop on down to verse 60. He said to, uh, to the man in there, he said, Lord, let me, I'm going to follow you, but I've got, go, got to go and bury my father first. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Preach the kingdom of God. Proclaim this, this rule and reign that is going to be established. Luke 16 and verse 16, uh, it is noted there that Jesus said the law uh, and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Everyone is, is eager for it. They're trying to come into it. Because they knew what the prophets had been saying about. Let's go up to the mountain of the house of the Lord. People are trying to get into it. John had said, Repent, the kingdom's near. Jesus came preaching the same thing, and people want to be in that kingdom. And then because they killed Jesus, God withdrew it. God said, Oh, I'm not going to give it to you now. No, not at all. No. Exactly as the prophets said was being accomplished. The message of the law of God, the gospel, went out from Jerusalem to the whole world. The Great Commission in Luke 24 and 47. As it says there that they went forth, uh, or Jesus said, that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in His name to all nations beginning at, in Jerusalem. Just as Isaiah had said, from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord is going to go forth. People are going to come to the mountain of the house of the Lord. They're going to press into the kingdom. They're going to be citizens of the kingdom in fulfillment of what the prophets said. The restoration of all things in these days, the first century days, you see, is exactly as Luke demonstrates. The kingdom exists. The kingdom has come. The one that Isaiah talked about is right. And people even now are pressing into it through the gospel of the kingdom. Well, in Isaiah 2, and verse 4, he goes on to describe the nature of that kingdom. Let's look at that prophecy for just a moment. In Isaiah 2, and verse 4, he says, He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares 
and their spears and the pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. In His kingdom, the, the, the nature and effect of His Word is going to be peace. It's going to, it's going to remove the hostilities, the conflict between men and, uh, and God and between men and themselves. They're going to spread a message. They're going to plant seed and bring a harvest. They're not going to learn war. It's not advanced by military might. That was, that's the sinful concept of the, of the crusades. Thinking that by the power of the sword they would advance the kingdom of God. No, sir. It's by the power of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, that God's kingdom is advanced. That's what was prophesied. Chapter 11. And really the first uh, seven, eight, well, most of that chapter, in fact, is describing the kingdom. It describes the king and his nature uh, of understanding and wisdom and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, his righteousness, the Messiah's righteousness, and with righteousness he would he would rule uh, and decide with equity among the, the meek of the earth, it says in verse four. And he goes on in verses six through nine to talk about the nature of the kingdom. The, the, the king is righteous, uh, and his kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and holiness, of peace. The wolf dwells with the lamb, the leopard, and the, the young goat lie down together. The calf and the lion. All these are figures representing peace, tranquility, harmony, unity. And they will not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knobs of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. So the knowledge of God will spread out around the world producing a kingdom that is righteous and peaceful and united with a knowledge of God serving the purposes of God. Luke, Luke says that's the kingdom that Jesus preached and brought, was bringing people into. It's a kingdom not of this world. That's not, not at all like the kingdoms of this world, but it's a kingdom that Jesus talked about in Luke 6 and verse 20. Look what He said there. He said, He lifted up His eyes and toward His disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, He's talking about poor in spirit. Matthew 5, 3. He's not saying... If you don't have any money, then you're then then you're in the kingdom. No, he's, he's talking about poor in spirit, one who is destitute in spirit, one who is broken in spirit, contrite heart. Yours is the kingdom of God. Okay? So, so the kingdom would be a place, you see, where one relinquishes himself for the will of the king, and to receive the blessing of the king's rule and reign in his life. And in Luke 17, 20 and 21, they said, well, when's the kingdom coming? Is it, is, it, is it about to arrive? When does the kingdom of God come? The Pharisees were asking. Jesus said, it doesn't come with observation. You can't say, see here, see there. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, how's the kingdom within you? Well, because you see, there's the seed of the kingdom, which is the Word of God. And it's planted in the, into the person's heart. And, and when that gospel bears its fruit in our heart and our life, then we become citizens of the kingdom. We obey the gospel and are saved. And now in, in Christ, in His church, 
we are citizens of this kingdom. And it, it's not defined by a rule uh, like men define it. It's defined by the rule of truth and peace and righteousness. See, because it shapes our nature, it, it reshapes our character into the image of Christ. So what was prophesied was not of a literal lion and lamb laying down together, but he's talking about those who are in conflict in their lives. That conflict is removed into Christ, in the righteous servant of God. And as we are poor in spirit, as we come to Him with a contrite heart and follow His will as a little child, you see, humbling ourselves to Him, then we're in that kingdom because by faith we repent and are baptized. We're added by the Lord to His church. Acts 2. In Luke 18, just to note that verse, verses 16 and 17, Jesus called to Him the little children. He said, Let the little children come to Me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. But surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Receive the kingdom of God. Receive the rule of God in your life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, Ephesians 3.17. He rules in our lives when we receive His gospel into our hearts. He preached it so we would believe it, so we would live it, so we would be citizens of His kingdom that was prophesied and that has been brought into, into existence. The kingdom that's been predicted, has arrived. It's here. The, the, the swords have been beaten to plowshares. Going all the world to preach the Gospel. The conflict between Jews and Gentiles is, is broken down. The, the wall of barrier has been removed. Ephesians 2, 14-16, the law contained in ordinances. The law of Moses has been laid aside. He's made in Christ peace between Jews and Gentiles. One new man reconciled by the cross in one body, the church. The church is the fulfillment of the kingdom predicted by Isaiah. That's the kingdom that's a coming. We don't have to look, by the way, just to sum, sum that point. We're not looking to some time in the future when God's going to renovate the world and make it like Eden way back there. So now it's going to be all like it was then. You know? you know, what we have is exactly what God wants now. When hearts are reformed, when hearts are converted, when, when we are brought into fellowship with God through His Son, added to His kingdom. Because that kingdom exists today. It's not of this world. Not of this world. In Isaiah 11, if you go on in that text, after describing the nature of the Messiah and the nature of His kingdom, He also then talks about those who inhabit His kingdom. In Isaiah 11, 10-12, it's a universal kingdom. In that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek Him, and His resting place shall be glorious. So He's going to be a banner to the Jews, and the nations, the Gentiles, are also going to seek after Him and they're going to find rest as well. So whether Jew or Gentile, you see there's that wolf and the lamb together. That's, that's that picture of peace in God's holy mountain is just described. It shall come to pass in that day, in that day of the kingdom, 
In that day, the Lord shall set His hand again the second time to recover the remnant of His people who are left. The Lord is going to gather His people from Assyria and Egypt and Pathros and Cus and Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and all assemble and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather them together, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Someone said, well, that had not happened yet. When's that going to happen? That, that, that hadn't happened. Yeah, it has happened. It is happening. You see, the book of Romans shows that, in fact, yes, that's exactly what happens because you see, in the preaching of the Gospel, God is gathering the remnant of grace. Romans 11 and verse 5. God is drawing people to Himself. God is calling His people from the four corners of the earth to come. Remember Acts 2 and 39, to use the promise unto your children and to all those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So Isaiah talks about uh, a universal uh, kingdom for all nations. The New Testament reveals it. In Acts 1 6, the apostle said, Lord, do you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And. No doubt they're thinking about the magnificent, uh, magnificence of Solomon's kingdom and those promises God had made to David. And is this when it's going to all happen? And, of course, he described a very different kind of kingdom even then. He said, that's going to, be, that's going to work out in God's time and, and what you're going to do is be my witnesses to the world. You're going to preach the Gospel uh, to the world. Because you see, it's in the preaching of that Gospel that the prophecies can find fulfillment. And so, in Romans 15, we don't have it on the chart, but in Romans 15, verses 11 and 12, you have Isaiah 11.10 quoted and applied to fulfillment. When Paul says, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, he shall rise up to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says what Isaiah promised, predicted, said would happen, has happened now, is happening in the preaching of the Gospel to the nations. The kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. Again in Daniel, the second chapter, Daniel said in chapter 2 and verse 44, In the days of those kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It will stand forever. In the days of these kings, and he's talking about the kings represented by the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream. The Babylonian kingdom, and then there were the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks, and then Rome is that fourth kingdom illustrated by the legs and the feet of that image. It's described there earlier in chapter 2 of Daniel. He said in the days of those kings of that fourth world empire, God's going to set up a kingdom. It's going to be like that, that stone that was cut not with human hands. Verse 34. God's going to establish. It's going to be, and it's going to be a mountain that's going to fill the earth. Shades of Isaiah, chapter 2. It's going to... He says in the days of those kings. Well, when? Well... Luke tells us about the days of those kings. Luke records that in the days of Tiberius Caesar is when uh, 
that when John began to preach and then Jesus preached, chapter 3 and verse 1. Born in the days of Augustus. The life of those people. Remember now, Luke, Luke, Luke 9 and 27. Jesus said, during your lifetime, you will see the kingdom. It's going to come. It's going to arrive. Luke 9, 27. He says, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now, here, what's the harmony? Is the kingdom coming? And Jesus said, you won't see it with observation. But He tells these people, you'll see it. Is that a contradiction? Not at all. He says, you're going to perceive the kingdom of God here in this passage. It's not going to come like the kingdoms of the world. It's going to come as lives are converted, as souls are saved. It's going to be in the days of, of, of your lifetime. And that's entirely consistent with the prophecy so that the kingdom was near, it was at hand, it was coming, and it was fulfilled. The sign of His power. Chapter 21 Verses 31-33, as, as Jesus predicts the destruction of Jerusalem, He talked about the sign of His power um, in the kingdom. He says, So it will be when you see these things happen, know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but My Word will by no means pass away. Jerusalem, you're going to be destroyed. The kingdom's going to be here. You're going to see the power of that kingdom. It's going to be applied to you. See, the sign of His power in heaven. And He's ruling and reigning in heaven. So the kingdom that would come in, during the kings of the fourth empire, Rome, in the prophecy, did in fact come in their life. Mark 9 and verse 1. Another parallel to that point. The kingdom of God in the Old Testament is the church of Christ in the New Testament. In Colossians 1, this will sum this up by looking at Colossians 1, 13 through 18. This, we talk about the church. Why the church is important? Because seeing God's purpose, the church is that kingdom that, that was predicted, that was anticipated, that was looked for. It's now been established. And when people say the kingdom hadn't come yet, they deny the church. They deny the place of the church in God's eternal plan for human redemption. Colossians 1.13 says that He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He's put us into the kingdom. It exists. The one that the prophets talked about, Peter said they talked about these days. So that now you see since the first century when people are converted, redeemed through His blood, forgiven of sins, verse 14, they're taken out of Satan's kingdom and put into the Son's kingdom. His church. You see, the Lord is adding to the church daily those who are being saved. He is the head of the body of the church. It's the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And by the way, you see, He's at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And He gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. It is the church 
where uh, over which Christ rules and reigns as king, that's his kingdom, at the right hand of God, he rules in the midst of his enemies, they're under his authority, but they re- oppose it, they reject it, nevertheless he is king, and one day all will bow the knee to the king. You see, the, king, uh, the kingdom has come. Kingdom has come. That's why we don't we don't recite the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom has come. It's here now, and we're to honor it in our lives. That's the fulfillment and the explanation of Acts three about times of restoration. Look at Hebrews twelve, twenty-two and twenty-three as we close. Hebrews twelve twenty-two says, "You have come to Mount Zion." and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. How did you come to Mount Zion? How did you come to the, to the city of the living God? To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. How did you come to that, general, that church, that kingdom? Well, through the Gospel. The Gospel of the kingdom planted in your heart that you believe and that you obey for the remission of your sins so the Lord would add you to His church, add you to His kingdom, take you put you into the Son's kingdom. So now you serve in a kingdom of that is God's holy mountain. A kingdom of peace, of righteousness. A, king, a, a, a kingdom where there is to be truth and righteousness reigning. See? That kingdom exists. Look at 28 of Hebrews 12. Receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. You see, the kingdom exists now and it's in that kingdom that we serve God acceptably. We can't serve God acceptably and say His kingdom doesn't exist. and Say that that's not what the church is. No, we serve Him with reverence and godly fear in His kingdom. In this church, because you see, that's the fulfillment of the prophecy. The kingdom has come. We're citizens of it. If you're not a Christian, you're not a citizen of it, but you can become one. If you'll repent, confess your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He is King, and He is Savior, and be baptized into Him for the remission of your sins. Then you'll add you to His church. You'll be put into the Son's kingdom. And you'll serve Him there, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. If we can help you correct sin in your life as a Christian, if we can pray together with you about that, encourage you in that, let us know that. We'll be, able, we'll be happy to pray together about that as you repent and confess sin to God as well. If we can assist you, won't you come while we stand and sing?